Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, thank you for joining me once again as we start this new year with another important message from Keep the Faith. I hope you're buckling your spiritual seatbelt. You're in for a ride as our world unravels further and as the nations slide even closer to world war. But you don't have to fear. If you're in Christ, you need not worry. It is those that are not in Christ that concern me, and that would include most church people. I would like to encourage you with the thought that in Christ there is no fear. Never forget that when you live for Jesus, He promises that nothing will happen to you that He has not approved. I'm so glad that Christ has made provision for each of us to live in harmony with His law and overcome all our sins through Christ living in us. And that's not an imaginary thing. The Holy Spirit, which is Christ's personal representative, promises to come into your heart and change your life so that you will be free from the chains and claims of Satan. It is not fiction. It is practical and personal. So give Him your heart today. Let Him have your heart every day. This year, I'm resolving to live for Jesus, and I will do all I can to help others to come to the Master as well. Before I begin today's message, let me thank each of you for your gifts to keep the faith ministry this past month or two. They mean so much to us as we seek to reach out to hungry souls with the message that will encourage them to prepare for the coming crisis. Most leaders, whether government or church, want you to avoid getting too enthusiastic about the prophecies. They will not speak of them from the podium or pulpit. They will simply urge you to relax even when the world is horrified by terrible catastrophes and calamities. Even when sudden destruction comes upon the world, they will continue to say to stay as you are. Don't change your life. But brothers and sisters, it's a change that we need. We must make our calling and election sure. And many of us are not doing that. Many of us continue watching the same old football games or the same old television programs. And many of us are eating the same old foods or going to the same movie theaters, country clubs, and who knows what else. Should we not be spending our time in the Word and on our knees seeking God with all our hearts? So many of us are caught up in business affairs and other secular, worldly matters that prevent us from reaching for the ultimate eternal values. I don't know about you, but I have to deal honestly with myself. I have to make sure that I'm not playing games with God. I have to become more watchful that I enter not into temptation. I have just a few announcements before I begin today's message. Please make sure that you are getting our daily prophetic intelligence briefings by email. If you sign up by sending us your email or by signing up on our website, we will gladly send you our daily prophetic intelligence briefings five days a week so you can start your day thinking about the second coming of Christ. Also, be sure to check our YouTube productions for visual prophetic intelligence briefings online. You can access these by typing Keep the Faith Ministry in YouTube or by clicking on the link in the right sidebar on our website. The latest videos are also posted online as they're produced. Don't forget to renew your subscription 
to keep the faith. You won't want to miss any of the upcoming end time messages. Please send your yellow renewal slip if you haven't done so already. If you have sent it in, you won't need to send it again. We send them to everyone for a few months until the renewal period is over. It's just easier and less expensive that way. Also, you don't need to renew if you sent a gift in the last year. We assume you wish to continue receiving them. I also want to remind you to order your set of 12 DVDs called Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order. For the first time, these prophetic messages on the New World Order have been put all together in one place. This series was recorded at Secrets Unsealed last year. You will be greatly blessed as you watch them. Please order several sets to share with others. As I am preparing this sermon, the shocking deaths of 129 innocent people in Paris, France, are still fresh in the news, reminding us that we are very near the end of time. We are living on borrowed time, and Satan would love to snuff out the lives of millions and entrap them forever. He knows that as long as there is life, there is the possibility of repentance and a turning to God. This he wishes to prevent and will bend every effort to do so. He stirs up the anger and hostility of some against others. They will retaliate, and then there will be fresh revelations of murder and mayhem. There's no end to it. No hope of reconciliation. No chance of peace. Remember, we are in a war with a devil, and there is no neutral ground, no spiritual Switzerland. The enemy is on your track, and you don't know where he'll strike next. He is like those terrorists that hide until it's time to attack. But that's getting ahead of our message for today. So as we begin our study today, let us bow our heads in prayer and ask for the special blessing of the Holy Spirit to lead our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the more sure word of prophecy. We've been told that the time would come when it would not be safe to be anywhere in the last days except under your shadow of protection. Father in heaven, I want to be under the shadow of the Almighty. I know that many of our listeners today want to be under the protection of Christ too, as we face the greatest chaos and destruction this world has ever seen. Give us your spirit as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by reading from 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God." Friends, this is certainly a description of our times at this very moment, isn't it? I don't know about you, but as I watched the unfolding drama in France recently, and as the world was horrified by the carnage in Paris for the second time in 2015, I was reminded of what these scripture verses say. Perilous times have certainly come upon us. And while presidents and prime ministers urge us to live our lives in the normal way, my friends, I can't do that. I cannot live in the normal way. I must get myself under the shadow of the Almighty. For some time after a terrorist attack, most people find themselves paying attention as they go through airports, looking around behind them as they sit in restaurants, and looking over their shoulder as they walk the streets of a busy city. 
They think about their escape routes. They think about what they would do in the privacy of their own minds should they be caught up in the mayhem of a terrorist attack. They look for short lines and quick access to secure places. And fundamentally, they're afraid of what might happen to them. But friends, we must not fear. In Christ, there is no fear. We are to live our lives unto God. Then what happens to us is His business. It is His responsibility. We can live without fear in an age of great fear. Here's a statement from Signs of the Times, October 1, 1894. Listen carefully to this fantastic comment. The Bible is to be our guidebook. Instead of consulting the wisdom of men and accepting as divine truth the assertions of finite mortals, we should search the sure word of prophecy. God has spoken, and His word is reliable, and we must rest our faith on a thus saith the Lord. Now here's the part I want you to really hear. God would have us study the events that are taking place around us and compare them with the predictions of His Word in order that we may understand that we are living in the last days. We want our Bibles and we want to know what is written therein. The diligent student of prophecy will be rewarded with clear revelations of truth. For Jesus said, Thy word is truth. Friends, we're living in an unprecedented time. It seems technology has made killings so much more efficient than it used to be. Now a bomb or a machine gun can kill masses of people very quickly. And when you were growing up, did you ever think that the world would be as chaotic and as deadly as it is today? I certainly didn't. The 20th century was the most deadly century so far, at least to some accounts. And certainly the 21st century, or what is left of it until the Lord comes, is likely to be much worse than that. Back when I was young, I was naive. I had no idea that such a thing as terrorism existed, except in the most remote and far-flung places where unstable governments left opportunities for disgruntled citizens to organize. But today, terrorism is front and center, and it's a fact of life, and it will not be overcome. There will always be individuals that act as lone wolves and try to kill innocent victims. There will also be those with grander aims. They will seek to destroy en masse and use terror to limit freedom and peace. Today we are seeing the unfolding of prophecy in extraordinary ways. Some people don't want to hear about prophecy. They think it's too sensational and, and counterproductive to do so. And while I would agree that it is sensational, I would also say that it's very biblical and you'd better learn about it. Prophecy captures our interest like nothing else can, but it is founded on the Word of God, which is as sure and, and secure as anything can possibly be. And the Word of God is our guide, as we read a few moments ago. We are in a global conflict. Satan is marshalling his hosts, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. He is bringing men and women steadily to his side in the conflict. When there's a severe terrorist attack, how many people do you think will be locked into the retaliation mode? How many people will feel that it is their mission to do something about it? That brings them to Satan's side. How many will join the terrorists in an effort to do some project with a so-called meaningful mission that brings out the worst savagery in them? That brings them on Satan's side too. And many die in the process, captives of Satan's enmity to the human race. It seems that Western society is coming apart at the seams. New laws recognizing same-sex marriage, 
financial crises, changing climate, war, terrorism, scandals of all kinds, and the list goes on and on. This shows us that we must get the gospel out to every human being. And soon, it shows us that we must do all that we can to reach lost souls and bring them to Jesus. As globalism rises to dominate the geopolitical landscape, Jesus has given us a message for the whole world, a global message to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It is the everlasting gospel found in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12. It includes the first, second, and third angel's messages, including the declaration that Babylon is fallen and to separate from her. And as the world gets more violent and less tolerant, we can expect that the weapons of Satan's warfare will be wielded against God's people. Here's a prophetic statement that shows you the times we are living in and why they're getting more chaotic as we near the close of human probation. It's from Desire of Ages, page 636. Everything in the world is in agitation. The signs of the times are ominous. Coming events cast their shadows before. The Spirit of God is withdrawing from the earth, and calamity follows calamity by sea and by land. There are tempests, earthquakes, fires, floods, murders of every grade. Who can read the future? Where is security? There is assurance in nothing that is human or earthly. Rapidly are men ranging themselves under the banner they have chosen. Restlessly they are waiting and watching the movements of their leaders. There are those who are awaiting and watching and working for our Lord's appearing. Another class are falling into line under the generalship of the first great apostate. Few believe with heart and soul that we have a hell to shun and a heaven to win. Did you hear that about the Spirit of God being withdrawn? That's pretty serious. It is the Spirit of God that holds the wicked in check. It's the Spirit of God that keeps men from self-destruction. It is the Spirit of God that is constantly drawing men to Christ. But when men reject the Spirit of God and they harden their hearts, they soon come to the place where they cannot hear the Spirit of God to their hearts. They come to the place where He can no longer penetrate their darkened minds. The imaginations of their hearts are only evil continually, and they do not want anything to do with God and His law, and they are determined in their rebellion and in their ambition. Some of them work and scheme to control their fellow man, while most are willing to be controlled as long as they have their entertainment and food. So long as they have enough money to live out their lives, they don't care what the government does. And this is the genius of the New World Order. The global elites know that if people are entertained and they do not want for basic things like food, they will not oppose their agenda to take over the world. This is the way it was in Rome before its fall. Games, sports, and in particular violent entertainments of all kinds, such as the gladiator fights, were the norm. Somewhere in Syria, Abdelhamid Abaud and a group of Islamic State jihadists gathered to put together a strategic plan to create a swath of terror across a major city in Europe. Their attention was drawn to France, a mostly godless nation whose leaders are allied to the United States and were collaborating in attacks of the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. Their intention was to direct the attack, not merely inspire it. They wanted it to be big, and they could not trust it to anyone but themselves. 
It was an important meeting because there were masses of refugees leaving Syria and heading to Germany and other parts of Europe. This would be a good time to send trained fighters across with the refugees into the European Union. But the timing of the attack may well have been to disrupt the climate change conference in Europe over security issues. With the overwhelming load of refugees, attackers would not be noticed and could slip through security and immigration without raising any concerns. Then they could assemble together with other trained jihadists already in Europe and complete their plan to create chaos, mayhem, and terror in Europe and perhaps in other places. It had been suspected for many months that many of the foreign Islamic State fighters had left the battlefield and returned to their homes in Europe and other places and were working to build a network of jihadists to prepare for attacks on the West. As they laid their plans for mass murder, these jihadists determined to create mass confusion in one night around the city of Paris by attacking in at least six different areas. They knew that their plot was dangerous and would need to be kept in utter secrecy. So they used encryption through the encrypted instant messaging service Telegram to keep their communications indecipherable from authorities. They knew they would have to fool some pretty sophisticated intelligence agencies, including the NSA in the United States, the BND in Germany, and the French intelligence agency, among others, with their massive digital capabilities, infiltrators, and other potential hazards along the way, and prepare their strategy without raising suspicions. After all, the intelligence communities cover global communications quite thoroughly. As it was, all but one of the attackers were known to U.S. authorities and were already on the U.S. no-fly list. U.S. officials stated that the Islamic State has a presence in 30 countries, which is harder to handle than Al-Qaeda ever was. The planning went on for months as radicalized and trained individuals were carefully positioned in safe houses in Belgium and Paris, and then equipped to carry out their deadly work right under the noses of the French intelligence community. Their training included the use of very sensitive explosives, the use of military-grade weaponry, and how to scope out the easiest soft targets and routes of entry. As strike day drew closer, they put the finishing touches on their plans, prepared their vehicles, clothing, suicide vests, weapons, ammunition, and strategy. They planned three teams to work together to time and coordinate their assaults, assign their routes and targets, and rehearse their tactics. Friday evening, the 13th of November, was a quiet Friday night. It was the end of a full week of work, and many people looked forward to a relaxing meal at a restaurant, a few beers at a bar, or perhaps a party or a rock concert with all its excitement. Others decided to attend a soccer match at the cavernous National Stadium of France, just north of the city, between the French and the Germans. The exhibition soccer match at the stadium was packed with 79,000 fans and was also attended by French President Francois Hollande. About 9.20 p.m., not long before halftime, an explosion occurred outside the stadium near entrance H. One bystander was killed beside the suicide bomber and dozens others injured. Ten minutes later, another outside explosion was heard as a second suicide bomber blew himself up near entrance D. But it still did not occur to the cheering crowd that anything was amiss. Keep in mind, my friends, that people don't really pay attention to themselves 
They would rather be entertained, oblivious to the warnings of violence and destruction that is about to overwhelm them. This is the way it was in the days of Noah. This is the way it was in the days of the destruction of Jerusalem. And it is the way it was when Rome fell. Now in our day, people only want safety. They'll give up whatever rights or privileges they have if they can be assured of safety. Of course, that assurance is elusive. But they continue on in their round of amusements and distractions, partying, sports, and theater, and gluttony. And when the first signs of trouble come along, they are unmindful and insensible to it for all the other noise that is going on around them. And that is exactly how Satan would have it to be. He wants to keep you so distracted that you have no interest in fulfilling prophecy. He keeps you so engaged in worldly pursuits that you don't have time to consider your eternal destiny. Satan is the greatest terrorist of all, so to speak. He wears you down. He keeps at you. He will not give up until he has you in his control. Then a third suicide bomber blew himself up at 10.53 p.m. between the stadium and a nearby McDonald's restaurant. All three explosions were heard by most of the fans and players, though they did not cause panic. All three suicide bombers wore similar explosive vests with batteries, bolts, and buttons. This would help tie the six attacks together as a highly coordinated assault. At 9.45 p.m., as both teams of players went to their locker rooms, their coaches, who would normally be reviewing their strategies, received shocking news. French officials told them that the city was experiencing a crisis with violence reported near the stadium as well as around the city. The officials told them that President Hollande had already been rushed from the stadium, but the second half would proceed. The two coaches, Didier Deschamps, the French coach, and Joachim Lauf, the German coach, had a decision to make. Should they inform the players or not? Both coaches kept the information to themselves. The stadium has spotty cell phone reception during big games, so few people knew of the developing crisis. The players played and the fans cheered as usual, unaware of what was going on around them. A few coaches, officials, and and journalists grimly followed the escalating carnage of the synchronized terror attacks via the Internet. As soon as the match ended, however, around 10.50 p.m., the gravity of the events quickly became clear. Several German players stopped in the tunnel leading to the locker rooms, rooted in front of the televisions that were showing news updates. In the French locker room, Thierry Brillard, France's Secretary of State for Sport, gave an impromptu address to the players, informing them of the tragedy unfolding. One French player frantically tried to find out the whereabouts of his sister who was attending the Bataclan concert. He later discovered that his sister was fortunate enough to escape. Because their safety could not be guaranteed, the players and their coaches, along with some family members, remained in the stadium most of the night. All sporting events in and around Paris were postponed. All cultural institutions were closed. A figure skating event in Bordeaux, about 350 miles southwest of Paris, was canceled because of the state emergency imposed by President Hollande. Security around sporting events had already been heightened following the Charlie Hebdo attacks in January, and it will remain high during the climate summit and during the European Soccer Championship Games in 10 cities around France in June and July of 2016. Friday evening in France is a time to relax and socialize. 
People were relaxing at two restaurants in the 10th district near the center of the city. One of them a French cuisine called La Carillon, and the other a Cambodian cuisine called Le Petit Cambodge. Their patrons were enjoying their Friday evening when at 9.25 p.m. three masked gunmen arrived in a black vehicle armed with Kalashnikov-style assault rifles and started shooting, killing 15 people in two restaurants and seriously wounding 10 more. About 100 shell casings were discovered at the scene. Seven minutes later, at 9.32 p.m., a bar called Alla Bonbier and an Italian restaurant called Casa Nostra and a laundromat in the 11th district of Paris near the city center was attacked, killing five people and seriously wounding eight others. These attackers were also driven to the bar in a second black vehicle. Again, approximately 100 casings were found at the scene. Then at 9.36, as people were peacefully eating at La Belle Equipe, a new and popular restaurant, a black vehicle arrived with more attackers who opened fire on people sitting outside the restaurant, killing 19 and seriously wounding 9. Again, about 100 casings were found at the scene. At 9.40 p.m., a suicide bomber blew himself up inside the restaurant Comptoir Voltaire in the 11th district. The bomber used the same type of mechanism as the suicide bombers at the stadium. One person inside the restaurant was seriously injured, while several others were slightly injured. At the same time, three well-armed terrorists entered the music theater Bataclan from a third black car, a rented VW Polo, and opened fire with pump rifles during a sold-out concert performed by the U.S. band Eagles of Death Metal, Allahu Akbar, they shouted as they threw grenades into the crowd and fanned out throughout the concert hall. The band was playing a song, Kiss the Devil, but as the bloodbath began, the band fled the stage. Just imagine the irony, my friends. The name of the heavy metal group, Eagles of Death Metal, is very significant. Eagles eat dead carcasses. These men were singing their favorite death metal songs. I have no idea what death metal is, but it doesn't sound like something that would attract a Christian. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Here's what it said. Death metal is an extreme subgenre of heavy metal music. It typically employs heavily distorted and low-tuned guitars, played with techniques such as deep growling vocals and screams, aggressive, powerful drumming, minor keys or atonality, abrupt tempo, key and time signature changes, and chromatic chord progressions. The lyrical themes of death metal may involve slasher film stylized violence, religions, sometimes Satanism, occultism, Lovecraftian horror, nature mysticism, mythology, and they may describe extreme acts including mutilation, diasection, torture, rape, cannibalism, and necrophilia, or that's meaning the love of the occult. Little did the fans of this band who sold out the concert realize that the Eagles of Death Metal was going to presage a violent, evil, and overwhelming confrontation with death. The fact that they were singing a song called Kiss the Devil, which was a song of love of the devil, reflects on their utter rejection of God and foolishness of their darkened hearts. The fans in this concert were sure to face their judgment that very night. 
Satan loves to kill those in places where God has forbidden them to go. Could it be that the Islamists was God's way of warning those who escaped the carnage? Those who escaped the carnage will perhaps never forget the stark and violent warning. They will have another chance to repent and be converted, but those that have died have no further opportunity. Here's a scripture to remind us of the counsel of the Lord. It is found in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Friends, how can you attend a death metal concert and think of God? It's impossible. How can you listen to death metal music and still have a pure and holy thought? How can you have anything to do with that culture and not bear witness to the devil? All of that is impossible. And perhaps the epitome of hostility to God was the fact that the concert was on the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Friends, think about it. Some of the places where the attacks occurred were places a Christian should never be, such as in the concert hall or at the soccer game. And the other places were not the place to be on the Sabbath. And friends, if we follow the counsel of the Lord, we will be spared many of the scenes of crime and murder that go on in this world. For instance, if you live in the country, you're much less likely to come into conflict with a terrorist attack, since most of them are in the cities. And if you keep God's Sabbath holy and you live for Jesus, you will have God's mercy and protection until it's time for you to give your testimony. You're completely unsafe when you venture on Satan's ground. The people in Bataclan looked like normal French people. You would not know that there was anything different about them, but they were targets of the devil as they listened to his music that night. Some of the fans in the Bataclan climbed to the upper boxes of the hall. Others tried to hide from the attackers. Some survivors found exits along the side street, and one woman escaped by dangling from a third-story window. The shooting went on for 15 minutes. Then the gunman took members of the audience hostage and regrouped them in front of the stage, then began killing them execution style. Most of the 89 victims died there in front of the stage. About 15 patrons found a place to hide and stayed there for more than two hours. The standoff between the gunman and the police lasted more than two hours before the elite French police stormed the club at 12.20 Saturday morning after the attackers had slaughtered the concert's patrons. All three terrorists were killed in the police assault. Two of the attackers activated their suicide vests, and the third attacker's vest was activated by police gunfire. The remaining hostages fled the Bataclan at 1.09 a.m. Saturday morning. There were 180 injured that were taken to hospitals. Paris hospitals, which rarely see gunshot wounds, were overwhelmed with them that Friday night as emergency rooms and surgeries were fully booked by injured victims. In fact, recovery rooms had to be commandeered and made into mass surgery areas. Medics worked in the makeshift surgeries all night to save the lives of the victims. Philippe Uvin, head of the emergency services at Georges Pompidou Hospital in Paris, said he had only seen injuries this bad in conflict zones. People were shot in the arms, legs, the thorax, and their chest. And you cannot imagine the psychological trauma as well. Difficult to explain, but many of the patients were silent when they arrived, despite their injuries. In the aftermath of the savage and brutal attacks, 
police searched for suspects, especially the man believed to be the mastermind of the plot, Abdelhamid Abaoud. They raided an apartment near the stadium in St. Denis, a suburb of Paris, north of the city. After a vicious firefight, which began around 4.15 a.m., two suspects were killed, one of them a female cousin of Abaoud, who blew herself up, and Abaoud himself. His body was so full of bullets that it was hard to identify him. Seven others were arrested. The terror cell had been taken down. It is believed that Abaoud had trained terrorists in Syria. He was also involved in previous terror attacks in Europe, such as the Jewish Museum attack in Belgium in May of 2014 and the Thales train attack in August of 2015. Abaoud was also with ISIS figures targeted in a January 2015 raid in Verviers and was involved in at least four failed terror attacks since the spring of 2015. He was also linked to other known terrorists. He had been head of a terrorist cell in Verviers, which police broke up in January of 2014. He was sentenced in absentia to 20 years in prison. He had combat experience in Syria and was a hardened warrior. He boasted about his exploits and was a poster child of the Islamic State, who promoted him in videos and in Dabiq, the Islamic State magazine. In spite of being one of the most wanted terrorists in Europe, French intelligence agencies are very concerned that they missed the fact that Abaoud managed to find his way into France and masterminded the coordinated Paris attacks without their knowledge. During the vociferous and vicious firefight, Police used 5,000 rounds of ammunition, five police officers were injured, and a police dog was killed. The building was heavily fortified and took the police quite some time to get in. The French Parliament extended the state of emergency that President Hollande had imposed for three months to nearly the end of February. They also approved sweeping measures to give the government more power during a state of emergency, among other things, to block social media and websites that incite terrorist attacks. Why this wasn't done many years ago is unclear. The world was stunned by the attacks claimed by the Islamic State. It was a perfect storm of the worst kind of terrorist tactics combined with the most permissive environments, said Bruce Hoffman, the director of Georgetown University's Security Studies program. He added that Paris, compared with most cities, is considered well-prepared after putting security measures in place over the past two decades, and especially after the much smaller-scale Charlie Hebdo attacks earlier this year. The fact that the terror cell could pull it off right under the noses of the French intelligence agencies in a city that is well-prepared suggests that the Islamic State has capabilities that far outstrip the estimations of global authorities. They attacked in one of the hardest places to strike, said Hoffman. It was like a knife going through butter. The fact that the attacks were pulled off in Paris is a strong statement of the viability and reach of the Islamic State. U.S. President Obama had declared the day before that the Islamic State had been contained. Though the White House clarified his statement as only referring to their territory in Iraq and Syria, the Islamic State has leapfrogged into Europe and probably other places and are preparing to spread more terror on a global scale. It is nowhere near being contained. Keep in mind that the Islamic State bombed a Russian plane, killing 224 people less than two weeks before the attacks in Paris. 
The Paris terrorists borrowed from the attacks in Mumbai in 2008 by striking soft targets spread over a relatively small urban area. But until the rise of ISIS, no one has been capable of carrying out such an attack again. The Paris attackers also borrowed from the London suicide bombings in 2005 by using suicide vests in multiple standalone attacks in order to inflict as many casualties as possible. And lastly, they borrowed from the Moscow theater siege in 2002, using a mass entertainment event to inflict a lot of damage. But the Paris attacks stood out because of the newfound capabilities of the attackers. A number of them had been fighting in Syria for the Islamic State. Actually, about 2,500 foreign fighters from France went to Syria. They are combat-hardened, can take orders, can work in units, and are completely suicidal. French President Francois Hollande said it was an act of war. He also said, in these difficult moments, we must, and I'm thinking of many victims, their families, and the injured, show compassion and solidarity. But we must also show unity and calm. Faced with terror, France must be strong. It must be great, and the state authorities must be firm, and we will be. Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, said this attack on freedom was aimed not just at Paris. It was targeted, and it hits all of us. That is why we must all respond together. We, your German friends, feel very close to you. We cry with you. We lead this fight together with you against those who did such unimaginable things to you. U.S. President Obama said once again, we have seen an outrageous attempt to terrorize innocent civilians. This is an attack not just on Paris. It's an attack not just on the people of France, but this is an attack on all of humanity and the universal values that we share. Pope Francis affirmed that the attacks represent part of a piecemeal Third World War, which he has often mentioned. Two days after the attack in his Sunday Angelus, he said, Such barbarity leaves us shocked, and we wonder how the human heart can conceive and carry out such horrible events, which have shaken not only France, but the whole world. Sounding like an end-time preacher, the Pope said that Jesus preached about the end of the world and spoke of apocalyptic events like war, famine, and cosmic catastrophes. He said the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. We are called to live the present, Francis said, but always ready to meet God whenever he may call. The Pope also warned against an unhealthy curiosity to know the details of future with recourse to psychics and horoscopes, saying they distract us from what is really important in the present. Vatican spokesman Father Federico Lombardi called for peace when he said, Nevertheless, we must go on living by building peace and mutual trust. Instead of encouraging the citizens of Paris to be sober and think about eternal matters in the aftermath of the attack, Parisians are being encouraged to respond to Friday's attacks by defiantly continuing to eat, drink, and be merry. Bar and restaurant owners, fearing the loss of business to the city's lively nightlife, are urging people to return to their local night spots with the slogan, Everyone to the Bistro. Show that France will not give in to fear. Police say that two of the attackers, including Abdelhamad Abaoud, used the migration route to enter Europe as Syrian refugees. One attacker, 
Belal Hadfi, a French national, had returned from the Middle East to Belgium, but had disappeared from the radar of Belgian intelligence and security forces. A third jihadist, Ismail Omar Mustafa, was also a French national of Algerian extraction, went to Syria in 2013 and then returned to France, no doubt to prepare for the terrorist attacks. Sami Amimor, a bus driver, is believed to have spent time in Syria. He returned to France in 2014 or even in 2015. While there are other attackers and suspects, it's not clear at the time that I prepared this message who they are or their background. An ISIS video released after the attacks claims that Washington, London, and Rome are part of the plans for future attacks, and a further ISIS video warns of an impending attack on New York City. Mayor Bill de Blasio said police are taking all necessary precautions in areas shown in the video and throughout the city. Stoking fear is the goal of terrorist organizations, he added, but New York City will not be intimidated. But to add to the credibility of the threat, five Syrians tried to enter Honduras by air to make their way to the USA by ground a few days after the Paris attacks. They were using fake Greek passports. That corroborated with the news that seven Syrians were arrested at the U.S. border trying to get into the United States illegally using stolen Greek passports also. It also corroborated with other concerns of U.S. border agents that Syrians have crossed the border with fake or stolen passports. Friends, we're going to see a lot more of the same kind of thing that happened in Paris, perhaps in the United States and other countries in the West. The fact that terrorists synchronized their attacks on six different locations at more or less the same time reveals that they have a more sophisticated way of handling their planning, training, and execution than Western leaders thought. Also, did you notice that they had explosive vests as well as weapons? They'll try to inflict as much death as possible. Friends, the time has come. You have no time to play with your salvation. You may never be confronted with a terrorist attack, but the fact is that the devil is on your case if you're a faithful follower of Jesus. You cannot delay in preparing for the coming global crisis and for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Global issues have escalated so much now that it should be obvious to anyone with a few neurons to rub together that you only have one place where you can secure your eternity. That place is in the secret place of the Most High. And if you're living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you will be following the counsel of Jesus Himself. He told this to the devil, but it is also counsel to every child of God. Live by every inspired statement we have. Cling to them with your life. And if you surrender to Jesus, the power of God will come into your soul and He will give you victory over every temptation. You must cooperate with Christ. You have to tell the devil to get lost. You have to tell Satan that you are no longer that way and that you refuse to live that way. But Christ will give you the power to resist every temptation. In order to survive the coming crisis, we must obey Christ in everything. When world leaders play down the importance of following God's counsel and they tell you to continue your ways just like you were before, they're essentially giving you a peace and safety message. When those dedicated to selling you delicacies that are harmful for you and they tell you that you should eat and drink and be merry, they're trying to keep you in their clutches. They're trying to calm you down and remove the voice of reproof from heaven. 
When government leaders tell you that you should maintain your pattern of life in defiance of the terrorists, that's the time that you should take heed to the Bible. That's the time you should seek after the Lord your God and find in Him your safety. Their aim is to keep you in sin. Their purpose is to keep you from even considering reformation of your life and bringing your life into harmony with the thus saith the Lord. Their objective is to keep you from reaching for your Bible and considering the things that are contained in it. Here's the counsel of the Holy Scriptures for you and me. Listen carefully. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It is made to each and every tempted soul there ever was. I need that promise. God is saying that if we trust Him, He will not let any temptation come to us that is too hard for us to bear in Christ. But more than that, He will provide a way out of it. That's a promise worth holding on to. It's a promise worth experiencing. It is a promise that will be fulfilled to every child of God. And this statement from Desire of Ages 668 is amazingly clear. Think what God is actually promising to do for you when you get ready for the crisis. If you want to have the mind of Christ, this is the statement for you. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, He will so identify Himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing His service. And when we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Here is a statement from Last Day Events, page 23. The terrible reports we hear of murders and robberies, of railway accidents and deeds of violence tell the story that the end of all things is at hand. Now, just now, we need to be preparing for the Lord's second coming. And here's another one from That I May Know Him, page 211. There is no safety anywhere. Satan has come down with great power and is working with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Those who do not follow in Christ's footsteps will find themselves following another leader. They've listened to strange voices until they cannot distinguish the voice of the true shepherd. Little by little, they cease to heed the warnings, the reproofs, the instructions. Human wisdom came in. Human imaginations were followed. Much reliance is placed upon human exertion and devices, and they imperceptibly go on until they are fully satisfied with their own wisdom, their own inventions, and are filled with their own doings. And this last one from Sons and Daughters of God, page 81. You are safe only as in perfect submission and obedience you connect yourself with Christ. The yoke is easy for Christ carries the weight. As you lift the burden of the cross, it will become light. 
and that cross is to you a pledge of eternal life. It is the privilege of each to follow gladly after Christ, exclaiming at every step, Thy gentleness has made me great. But if we would travel heavenward, we must take the Word of God as our lesson book. In the words of inspiration, we must read our lessons day by day. Friends, as the world becomes more intense in wickedness and as the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn from the earth, men's hearts are cold and ruthless. As we enter the time of trouble, we must be prepared for the worst. All around there will be violence, but we must become God's true witnesses. We must live in the midst of it all, but give a sterling and glorious representation of the peace that passes all understanding. God bless you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we need your grace today to understand our duty in light of the times in which we live. Please send your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and give us the peace of Jesus. We need his presence in our lives to calm our nerves in the violence of the storm. As the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn from the world, please send him in greater power to your people. May we be faithful to you as you are faithful to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like Thine can peace afford. I need Thee, oh I need Thee, every hour I need Thee, oh bless now my Savior, I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour, stay Thou nearby,
teach me Thy will and Thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need Thee, oh I need Thee, every hour I need Thee, oh bless me now my We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called, I Need Thee Every Hour, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry, and if you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we'll gladly send them. Please mention the Consecration CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the change in Catholic-Jewish relations. During the Second Vatican Council between 1962 and 1965, there was a change in the way Catholics related to Jews. The Council said that Christ's death could not be attributed to Jews as a whole. It recognized the shared spiritual patrimony between Christians and Jews and it decried all forms of anti-Semitism. This position dramatically changed the relations between the two nations. Popes have since then expressed esteem for Jews. John Paul II called them elder brothers of Christians. On the 50th anniversary of the end of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Francis called for greater interfaith collaboration in the face of religious extremism. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists were in the VIP seats for his general audience as he explained the importance of the Council Declaration Nostra Aetate, which revolutionized the Church's relations with Jews. He said the Declaration transformed Catholic-Jewish relations from indifference and opposition to collaboration and goodwill. From enemies and strangers we became friends and brothers. We can walk together, taking care of one another, and of creation, Francis said. The Jewish-Catholic relationship was one of the worst because of the demonization of the Jews by Catholics over the centuries. The Holocaust was a consequence of this demonization. The Catholic Church has apologized to Jews for its attitudes and its actions. Now the relationship between Catholics and Jews is very good. The apologies and friendship have been very effective in bringing relations together with Rome. Rome seeks to reconcile with all religions 
to bring them into collaboration and friendship. A global religion requires global reconciliation. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Revelation 13, verse 8. The Roman Church now presents a fair front to the world, covering with apologies her record of horrible cruelties. She has clothed herself in Christ-like garments, but she is unchanged. Every principle of the papacy that existed in past ages exists today. The doctrines devised in the darkest ages are still held. Let none deceive themselves. The papacy that Protestants are now so ready to honor is the same that ruled the world in the days of the Reformation when men of God stood up at the peril of their lives to expose her iniquity. She possesses the same pride and arrogant assumption that lorded it over kings and princes and claimed the prerogatives of God. Her spirit is no less cruel and despotic now than when she crushed out human liberty and slew the saints of the Most High. The Great Controversy, page 571. Next, Germany spying on its friends, including the Vatican. Earlier this year, it came to light that the German intelligence service, the Bundesnachrichtendienst, or the BND, had assisted the NSA in spying on European institutions, companies, and even Germans. It came under heavy criticism for that. Then more recently, news emerged that the BND had also systematically spied on friends and allies around the world, in many instances of its own accord, not at the request of the NSA. And now it has been revealed that the spying went further than previously reported. The BND spied on the United States Department of the Interior and the Interior Ministries of the EU member states, including Poland, Austria, Denmark, and Croatia. It also included numerous foreign embassies and consulates, as well as U.S. diplomatic outposts in Brussels and the United Nations in New York. Even the Vatican telephones, email addresses, and fax numbers were numbered with their surveillance targets. The BND also spied on non-governmental organizations like CARE International, Oxfam, and the International Committee of the Red Cross in Geneva. In October of 2013, Chancellor Angela Merkel was rather unhappy about spying on her mobile phone and said, spying among friends? That's just not done. Apparently, these words didn't apply to the BND. Spying among friends and businesses enhances control. At times, it can be very intimidating. Governments need to spy for many reasons, so they say. But ultimately, it strengthens their control over their citizens and centralizes their power. Those are prerequisites for universal enforcement of their aims. Global intelligence is required for globalization. Germany certainly engaged in global intelligence. Next, global consolidation of business leads to other global goals. The airline industry has been consolidating globally, with three huge U.S. airlines emerging from six, not to mention two discount carriers merging into one. While a number of smaller European airlines have been gobbled up with, by the big players like Lufthansa, Air France, and British Air. Even Australia's airlines are consolidating and partnering. Tiger Air was recently acquired by Virgin Australia, while partnerships with Middle Eastern and Asian carriers boost traffic and revenue. And global alliances bind the airlines into confederacies that benefit them with market share and other synergies. Meanwhile, the global car rental industry has consolidated too. 
Enterprise acquired Alamo and National. Avis acquired Budget and Zipcar, and Hertz bought Dollar and Thrifty. The consolidation also involves drugstores. Walgreens, with 31% market share, is buying its rival Rite Aid with 10% market share, combining the second and third largest pharmacies to challenge the massive CVS Health, which is 58% of the market. Seeking larger market share and greater market control, as well as negotiating leverage and operational synergies, the two companies are merging during a time when there is a tectonic shift in the healthcare industry. Walgreens is already somewhat globalized through an alliance with Boots, a British pharmaceutical firm. The merger will enhance that relationship. Plus, consolidation will give the new merged company more leverage in negotiations with drug companies as well as against competitors in the market, which include Costco, Target, Walmart, and other big-box retailers. Incidentally, Target's pharmacy business was acquired by CVS this year and will convert its more than 1,660 locations into CVS pharmacies, creating a confederation that will certainly increase its market share and corporate strength. Emphasizing the global nature of the merger, Stefano Pacina, Walgreens Boots Alliance's CEO, said, It's another step in Walgreens Boots Alliance's global development and continues our profitable growth strategy. In both mature and newer markets across the world, our approach is to advance and broaden the delivery of retail health, well-being, and beauty products and services. The deal will enhance our store base and expand opportunities as part of the first global pharmacy-led health and well-being enterprise, added John Stanley, Rite Aid CEO. Even the Internet is dominated by only five companies who command more than 70% of online revenue. They are Amazon, Alphabet, eBay, Facebook, and Liberty Interactive. And they just keep getting bigger while many smaller internet firms decline and even fade away. Investors have realized that if they want a share of the Largus, they must stick with the big companies, which strengthens them even more. The auto manufacturing industry is also quite consolidated as well. Ford and General Motors haul in two-thirds of U.S. car sales, for instance. Meanwhile, Kraft and Heinz merged this year to become a huge global food production behemoth. These deals are only a few of the many consolidations and confederations in recent decades, which involve banking and finance companies, fast food chains, aircraft manufacturers, and others. Mergers of huge companies with one another places greater assets and market share and economic interest into the hands of fewer people and tends toward globalization of commercial interests. Globalization of business, commerce, and trade is prophetically significant. Consolidation and globalization of key businesses is essential for globalization of the economy. The globalization of the economy is essential to globalization of the government. Globalization of the government is essential to globalization of religion. The Bible explains that the merchants of the earth collaborate with Rome, according to Revelation 18, verse 3, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. The world is a theater. The actors, its inhabitants, are preparing to act their part in the last great drama. With the great masses of mankind, there is no unity except as men confederate to accomplish their selfish purposes. God is looking on.
His purposes in regard to his rebellious subjects will be fulfilled. The world has not been given into the hands of men, though God is permitting the elements of confusion and disorder to bear sway for a season. A power from beneath is working to bring about the last great scenes in the drama. Satan coming as Christ and working with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in those who are binding themselves together in secret societies. Those who are yielding to the passion for confederation are working out the plans of the enemy. The cause will be followed by the effect. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, pages 27 and 28. The social consequences of consolidation and globalization is explained in the following statement. Everywhere there is a tendency to substitute the work of organizations for individual effort. Human wisdom tends to consolidation, to centralization, to the building up of great churches and institutions. Multitudes leave to institutions and organizations the work of benevolence. They excuse themselves from contact with the world and their hearts grow cold. They become self-absorbed and unimpressible. Love for God and man dies out in the soul. Christ commits to His followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is not to be left to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the requirement of the gospel. Ministry of Healing, page 147. Next, Illinois school refuses transgender males access to girls' locker rooms. The federal government has stepped into a thorny issue in Illinois, saying that schools must give transgender students full locker room access or else. The Obama administration slammed a Chicago suburban public school district for not providing a male transgender student with access to the girls' locker rooms. A U.S. Department of Education report issued at the end of a two-year investigation claims that the school violated Title IX, which bars discrimination in federally funded education programs. The denial of access has also meant that in order to satisfy her graduation requirements and receive a high school diploma, student A has had no other option but to accept being treated differently than other students by the district, said the report. The federal ruling makes clear that what my school did was wrong, said the student in a statement to the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois, which has backed her. This decision makes me extremely happy because of what it means for me personally and for countless others. The district's policy stigmatized me and often making me feel like I was not a normal person. The school district now has 30 days to reach an agreement with the authorities or risk losing up to $6 million in federal funding. The case could also be referred to the Department of Justice. But district officials did not back down, insisting that they remain strong in our belief that the district's course of action appropriately serves the dignity and privacy of all students in our educational environment. Now that gay rights have been nationalized in the United States, transgender rights are being pushed and more legally recognized. Nearly half of all U.S. states and many cities prohibit discrimination against transgender people as well as gays and lesbians. Nowhere has the battle over transgender rights been fiercer, however, than in public schools, especially their bathrooms and locker rooms. Meanwhile, 
Houston City Council narrowly approved new protections for transgender people and other minorities in May of 2014. But a fierce backlash against the law, including protests by local pastors, forced a referendum on the issue. The ordinance was defeated in the referendum. The Obama administration's Justice Department and its Education Department have both issued decisions arguing that transgender students must be given full access to bathrooms and locker rooms. But this is not the first time the Obama administration has supported transgender people. Recently, it decided to allow transgender members to serve openly in the military. It has also supported trans students in lawsuits in both Virginia and California. And the lawsuits are just beginning as the battle rages on in America's schools. And the so-called bathroom wars have been pushed to the locker rooms where there is a perfect storm of sensitive conditions, hormonal teenagers, naked bodies, and a communal setting, making locker rooms the locus of social anxiety over teenage students being exposed to the opposite sex. All of this exposes the absurdity of creating unnatural rights. It is impossible to accommodate everyone. Schools have argued that the new definitions and laws mean that the interests of a few students have been given priority over the privacy rights of the rest of the school. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, verse 28. Next, Pope Francis urges the United States and Cuba to further diplomatic relations. On his first day in Cuba, Pope Francis urged the United States and Cuba to set an example for the world by deepening their ties. Pope Francis helped secretly broker the rapprochement between the former Cold War foes. I urge political leaders to persevere on this path and to develop all its potentialities as an example of reconciliation for the entire world, he said at the airport on his arrival. The 78-year-old pontiff facilitated reconciliation between the two nations by back-channel contacts, secret talks, and even sent letters to both Presidents Raul Castro and Barack Obama at the right moment in their negotiations. Now the nations have opened embassies, swapped prisoners, eased travel and trade restrictions, and even though the economic embargo is still technically in place. Watch for more diplomatic action as Pope Francis leverages his popularity to gain more power for the Vatican. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Revelation 18, verse 3. Next, tarot cards in the classroom. On the Friday before Halloween, students at Hidden Lake High School in Westminster walked into Mrs. Mitchell's art class excited about the holiday. Mrs. Mitchell did not share their excitement. Out of nowhere, Mrs. Mitchell brought out tarot cards and said she was going to cleanse all the evil spirits from the classroom, one student said. The student is a Christian and had never seen tarot cards, nor had she witnessed a cleansing ritual. I wasn't comfortable at all. I immediately left the room and called my grandma because, for my religion, we don't believe in that stuff, said the student who didn't want to be identified. I felt like I was violated because, basically, if I were to pray over a student in the school, that would have been a major thing and somebody's parents would have been really mad, the student said. She also took a video of the teacher reading the student's cards about their futures. 
When a student drew the death card, the teacher minimized the meaning of it. In the classroom, there was also a book written by James Wasserman, the author of Memoir of the Occult. The school district said they are conducting a full investigation and that the teacher in question would not be in the classroom until that's completed. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Isaiah 8, verse 19. Through spiritualism, many of the sick, the bereaved, the curious, are communicating with evil spirits. All who venture to do this are on dangerous ground. The word of truth declares how God regards them. The magicians of heathen times have their counterpart in the spiritualistic mediums, the clairvoyants, and the fortune tellers of today. The mystic voices that spoke at Endor and at Ephesus are still, by their lying words, misleading the children of men. Could the veil be lifted from before our eyes, we should see evil angels employing all their arts to deceive and to destroy. Wherever an influence is exerted to cause men to forget God, there Satan is exercising his bewitching power. When men yield to his influence, ere they are aware, the mind is bewildered and the soul polluted. The apostles' admonition to the Ephesian church should be heeded by the people of God today. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's Ephesians 5 verse 11. And the statement is from Acts of the Apostles, page 290. Next, Victoria Falls, half dry. Low rainfall is a huge problem on the Zambezi River in Zambia. It affects water levels, food crops, and electricity generation, among other things. In Zimbabwe's Lake Kariba, for instance, there is approximately two months left of water for electricity generation. A prolonged drought also reduces crop production. At Victoria Falls, 500 miles away from Kariba Lake, the Zambian side shows an almost dry gorge. Water levels haven't been this low since 1992 in the middle of a devastating drought. Even the fauna and flora are changing. The weather is at least partly to blame. The lack of rain has been shocking, according to Park Service's personnel. The drought has diminished water resources so much that the mighty Zambezi River is much lower than normal. Poor rainfall is being partly blamed for the low water levels in Lake Kariba. Some think that the low population of hippos is also playing a part. Hippos used to clear a way through channels through floodplains so that water drains back into the Zambezi River in May and June. But without the many hippos which have been hunted for food, the channels have become overgrown and blocked and the water remains in the floodplains. We are amid the perils of the last days, and trying times are before us. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, that those things that cannot be shaken may remain. Drought, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, casualties by sea and land will multiply. Life will be unsafe anywhere, only as the life is hid with Christ in God. Now, while the angels are holding the four winds, it is our opportunity to seek the Lord most earnestly. That's Manuscript Releases, Volume 20, page 285. Next, the World Council of Churches collaborates with the Vatican on climate change. The World Council of Churches proclaimed a right to hope in a world threatened by climate change on April 28, 
by World Council of Churches General Secretary Reverend Dr. Olav Reisky Tvit at the Vatican. Climate change makes crystal clear what kind of change is needed for a sustainable future, he said. Humanity has a right to hope, the right to a future, the right to life itself. No power on earth can destroy the thirst for human dignity and for life in just and sustainable communities. Tvit was part of the high-level invitees at the Vatican event, along with other religious leaders, academics, scholars, and policymakers. The meeting emphasized the role of religious leaders in promoting climate justice. Ban Ki-moon, Secretary General of the United Nations, who also participated in the conference, said, Religious leaders, we the peoples need your moral leadership to address climate change. Echoing the Pope, Tavit said, Churches in the past did not question the unsustainable development path of industrialized societies with the reckless consumption of natural resources and the ever-growing use of fossil fuels. We have to acknowledge these sins of the past in order to be credible today, Tavit said. We have called for actions, for a just and binding treaty among the nations to commit the nations of the world to change, Tavit added. The churches connected to the ecumenical movement are being quickly drawn into supporting the papal push for protection of the climate. They are being encouraged to fight for a global government to defend the climate. All the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13, verse 3. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.